Praise the Lord. This is Brother Julius Adeomi again. We are going through the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And we are now in the chapter 5, the last few verses, chapter 5, we are going to chapter 6. And I stopped in the last sermon. I stopped at, um, why didn't the woman say, I can ask you, just pray? Well, she rejected my, because I, I believe in laying hand upon the sick and the sick are recovered. And that is what came to my spirit on that day that I can lay my hand upon her and she will recover speedily instead of the health, health, uh, the medicine, the medicine we take care of you by and by. And, and I just, I didn't have to introduce myself. She, she knew I was a believer, I was a believer, and my wife a believer. She's not from the same church. She was from another church. And I said, well, can I pray for you and lay my upon you? She said, no, if you want to pray, just pray from where I'm sitting. So I said, well, okay, in that case, I don't need to pray. Not in anger. I just said, well, in that case, I didn't pray. I just said, well, in that case, it's not necessary. And we visited her and I left. So that is what Apostle Paul is referring to here to, to Timothy. He said, lay hands on no man. That should be agreement. Neither be particular of other men's sins. Keep that say pure. Now, uh, this is a personal instruction to Timothy when he said, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach sick and thy often infirmities. Some people have pointed to this Bible as if to say, oh, you can drink wine. Apostle Paul is talking of something that is particular to a particular person. Maybe he knew that this man has some problem with his stomach because they, they live together. And he said, well, when you drink the water, maybe the water is the one that is polluted. Maybe you don't drink water because in those days, they don't have a pipe, no, pipe water that is clean and filtered. So he, some people will react to it. So he noticed that that might be the problem of Timothy and say, well, don't drink water. People use wine when they're drinking food, they're eating their food. They drink a little wine. That's not alcoholic wine. But things that is not directly water, but it's a, it's a, call it wine, whatever you call it, it's wine. So he said, drink a little wine. It's better than drinking water that's already unfiltered that's going to give you all those uh, stomach problems. That's why I say for thy stomach sick, because Apostle Paul was familiar with what the man, what Timothy was going through. That's why I was able to explain that. Praise God. So, verse 24 went for that. Says, so men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Some are following the Lord, some are already following the devil. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So that's more like a, a, a proverb for us to say, well, some people just right now you can tell that they are on their way to hell, the way they are living their life. Some you can tell that they are following the Lord. Let's go to chapter 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Who are the servants under the yoke? Those are slaves. In their generation, there are a lot of people that are more or less slaves. I mean, they were bought by the, their masters. And so, it was, and most of them are the ones that listen to the gospel. When, because to the poor, the gospel is preached. These people have nothing. So when the gospel, good news came to them that there is a kingdom, a new kingdom coming, where God is going to give this kingdom back to the righteous, and there will only be righteous people living upon the earth, and Christ is going to reign, and everybody, nobody will be slave to anybody. It makes sense, and the poor are the ones that, that are that just uh, attached to the gospel. The slaves are the ones that accepted the gospel quickly. 
Of course, the rich people also can accept it. There are some that are slave masters that also accept the gospel. And that's what Apostle Paul said. Those that are servants, that are under the yoke, should count their own masters worthy of all honor. But because the pastors you are serving, if you are not serving them well, they will be ridiculing your religion. So he said, you have to also show example as a believer, even wherever you are serving. So that's why he was uh, pointing to the that teach them to be like this. That they have to, to count their masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Because they will be blasphemed. That this your religion does not teach you to do this, to do the right thing. And they will blaspheme your religion. Verse 2. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. I mean, if your master is already a believer, you should be grateful because now he will be treating you right. Don't despise them. You still have to serve them because they are brethren. But rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. In the congregation of the, when, when in the first church age, when these things are, when the gospel started, both the rich and the poor are joining. Some have slaves and their slaves also join and they themselves join. So he said, if you have a master that is also a believer, you that's a double blessing. Double they are these your masters are also partakers of the benefits that we all enjoy. Benefits of praying for the sick and getting well, and benefits of uh, eternal life that's coming. He said that is a good thing. But make sure you are still serving them well, just like you are serving them, and you are now to serve them with faithfully as people that also are partakers of the benefit. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to hold some words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to doctrine which is according to godliness, he said, the man is proud. He said, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and stripes of words, whereof comment, envy, strife, release, evil submissions, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. So Apostle Paul is more or less pointing this out that if anybody else says something contrary to what he was teaching Timothy in the way everybody should conduct themselves, the servants should be serving the boss properly in fear of God. The master also is to treat the servants the, the right way. All of this things like Apostle Paul is teaching. He said that if anybody is teaching otherwise, that person perhaps is uh, opposing what he said about you are to serve your boss. He said, that's, that man is proud. If anybody is teaching otherwise, he said they are proud. And they are trying to start, start a strife. Evil surmising, evil, evil, perverse disputes. He said they are corrupt minds. He said they are thinking that gain is godliness. Because that's what like, that, that they are trying to think. You are, going to, you are going to profit by doing this. And when you are, when you are, not, doing, when you are not profiting. He said, withdraw yourself for anyone that is contrary to what I am preaching. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a very important Bible verse that we remind ourselves verse 6. So godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? That is, be happy with what you have and thanking God. If you need more, ask God. God will give you promotion and get you more. But contentment is very important. It's a hard thing. Godliness is lifestyle of how you should live godly the way God wants Contentment is that whatever God has given to you, you are managing it, happy with it, and thanking Him for it, not grabbing for more. And if you need more, God will provide for you, but you have to ask Him in, in faith. Say, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Perseverance, for we brought nothing to this world, 
And it is certain we can carry nothing out. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now verse 8 is telling us the, the bottom line. You say, well, is that all you need? Just food and raiment? Of course, we God has provided much more than that for every one of us. We have food, we have raiment, we have roof over our head. So, and many other things that God has provided freely and that we enjoy by His grace. Say, so, let us be there with content. Verse 9 says, But they that will be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Anyone that will be rich, I mean by those that will be rich, I mean they desire to be rich and they are pursuing it all at all costs, they are going to fall into so many temptations, so many hurtful loss. That is the Bible, the Bible says, it's going to tell us that the love of money is the root of all evil. For verse 10, it says, for the love of money, not money, the love of it is the root of all evil. It says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. What do you mean by love of money? You can look around you and see how multitudes are running after money, how they can embezzle money, how they can get their own share of the cake that belongs to everybody, the cake of the government. They will take contracts and they won't, they won't do the contract and just pocket the millions and millions of money into their pocket and thinking that that is all the love of money. And it's the root of all those things they are doing. And you see somebody that kidnaps people, it's the love of money. Can't ransom, ransom money they are collecting for after the kidnapping, it's the love of money. It's the root of all those murder, the root of all those killings, the root of all those you can that's going all over the world. So that is the root of it, it's not the money, it's the love of it. So the hair from the face appeared and said with so many sorrows. Verse 11 says, But thou man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. These are the attributes of the Holy Ghost. And when you follow all those things, say that that is what the Lord Christ meant when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things shall be added to you. But a lot of people are pursuing what the Lord say we add to them. They are not looking for God. They are looking for what He wants to add. They want to snatch it from His hand. But you won't get it unless you pursue the kingdom of God first. That's why the Lord Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is the way that the kingdom of God operates. That's the righteousness. The way things have to be done if you are in the kingdom of God. That is His righteousness. The meekness, the gentleness, the kindness, the patience. The good character that you are not trying to step on people's toes. You are not stepping on people to get to where you want to get to. Contentment. That is the righteousness. You see, seek those things of the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness and holiness in the Holy Ghost. So when you seek that, say, what you need, God will take care of the rest. God will provide this. They will be added to his work by Jesus Christ. And that's what Apostle Paul is referring to here. That man of God, you follow after righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, loving one another, patience, meekness. Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. We are unto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
what do you call it a fight? It's a, it's a good fight, but it's a fight of faith. What is this fight of faith? Because it takes, it's like a fight. When you, when you have to exercise your faith, the devil will challenge you. That's why it's a fight. The devil will come against you. The devil will resist you. They will try to tempt you. They will try to throw doubts in your mind when you want to exercise faith. But that is where you have to stand strong and resist. That's the fight. When you are resisting somebody, somebody is coming against you, you are resisting it. That's becoming a fight. It's not a physical fight with somebody because we do not fight flesh and blood. You are fighting principalities and spirits. The powers of darkness. Those are satanic spirits. Those are the people we are fighting. Those are the spirits we are fighting. We are not fighting the human beings. Even when the devil is using some human beings to come against you, don't think of the enemy as that human being. Think of the enemy as the spirit that is going behind that human being to make him speak evil of you or resist you in whatever way he's resisting you. That is what you want to fight. Take your fight spiritually. Step aside in the corner and pray. Command the devil bound. And that is how you fight the battle. By the word of God. Confess the word of God and then live by the word of God. You see that the devil will be having no, no power against you when you are fighting that good fight of faith. That's how you fight it. With the word of God, with prayer. And putting on the armor of God with righteousness, faith, truth, that the Bible said in the letters of Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 6. Now he went for life. He said, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. We are unto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Verse 13. I give this charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep these commandments without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is a charge for a young man that is a pastor. And Apostle Paul knew that he would be going soon. And he was giving Timothy what he should keep occupied with. He said, I charge you before God and before our Lord Jesus Christ, who, is, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. What was the good confession? Our Lord Jesus Christ said, I have come to bear witness to the truth. Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? The logic didn't explain for that because that was not that would take a time for him to be explained to the Pontius Pilate and we wanted him crucified. So but he said he came to bear witness to the truth. And the truth well, is, is that there is a God. The truth is that there's going to be a judgment day. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. The truth is that he has come to save mankind from their sins. The truth is that there will be resurrection one day. We are all the dead in Christ, we resurrect first. That was the truth. And Christ came to bear witness to the fact that there is a God. By demonstrating the power of God, he came to bear witness that there will be a resurrection. He resurrected himself and went up to heaven. So all of the truth, he bear witness to it. He said that, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And that was what Apostle Paul referred to that. I am, he's giving charge to uh, Timothy, he said, before God and who quickened all this, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. And what is charge? is the charge to Timothy is that keep this commandment without spot. What is the commandment? Everything he was teaching or telling Timothy to do. It's like a commandment that this is how you what you should be teaching, this is what how you should choose the bishop, this is how you should choose the deacon, this is what you should tell the, the people, this is how they should be treating the widows, this is how they should be treating the elders, and that's how you should be a, a, an example of, of this as a believer, example of a believer. Say so keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, 
which in his times he shall show. That is Christ will show that yes, you are keeping it. When you are when you are welcomed by Christ, that's how the Lord will show that yes, you are keeping this commandment that Apostle Paul gives to you. Which in his times he shall show. Who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Our Lord Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Verse 16. He said, Christ only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power. Everlasting in me. Now, Apostle Paul was relating this verse 16 because he has seen the Lord Jesus Christ manifested to him in a blinding light, like a ball of light in the book of Acts of the Apostles. And that was what he was referring to when he said he is the only one that has immortality because Christ is the one that is going to give immortality to anybody in the end. Like Jesus Christ said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were there, yet shall he live. If a man liveth him, believeth in me, and liveth and believeth in me, he shall never die. So what means the immortality that we are looking for, how we are to live and never die, it is Jesus Christ that's going to be in us, that's going to give us that immortality. So he only has immortality, and is the one that's going to give we human beings immortality in the end. And that's what Apostle Paul said he saw when he was telling before King Agrippa that he saw a light that was brighter than the sun. Let me read to you in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 26. And that was what Apostle Paul was referring to when he said, Jesus Christ is the only one that has immortality, dwelling in a light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. This is what he his experience when he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he was relating this to King Agrippa in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 26, when he was defending himself after he had been arrested as, as prisoner and was to be sent to Rome. And this is what he said, verse 13 of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 26. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, and then which journeyed with me. And when we were all falling to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. So that experience gave Apostle Paul the revelation that made him to say, Jesus Christ is the only one that has immortality. Because that light that is coming, emanating from him is the light that he is going to give to us, and that will make us to be immortal. It's a dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Because when he appeared to Apostle Paul, he said that light blinded him for three days. And until, until Ananias came and prayed for him, that he was released from that blindness. He said, no man has seen it, and I can see it. No man can look into that light, that's what he meant. Because he would say, I, I saw him. He said, no man can look into that light. That's what he means. No man has seen, no can see. To whom be honor and power everlasting. Verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now he's going to address the rich men. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, 
but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So that is the shout to the rich people. He said, charge them to not be high-minded, don't trust in your riches. That they be not high-minded, not, not trust in uncertain riches. No matter how much you have, all the billion, billion dollars you stock in the, in the bank account, don't trust in it, trust in the living God. Those money can be vaporized just like that. They can, you can lose them just like that. And they can become worthless just like that. Or you can lose them by using you yourself die and never be able to use the money. Remember the story of uh, the parable that the Lord Jesus gave. He gave a parable, he said, a, a certain man that has a lot of his goods so suddenly multiplied. And he said, well, what am I going to do? Where am I going to store all these things? He said, well, I don't know what I'll do. I will just tear down my barns and I will build a bigger barn and I will store my my all my goods to that bigger man, and I will tell my soul to relax, for you have something stored for many years. And the Bible said, and God said to the to the rich fool, thou fool, tonight your soul will decide will be demanded of you. So who then will be the owner of all these things that you stockpile? That's what I mean. That don't trust in uncertain riches. You can steal all the money of the government and stock it in your in your bank account and you die tomorrow. Who's going to use all this money? You stole it from people, you wasted it, but you are going to be standing before God in hell. You'll be surprised, you'll be sent to hell for being a thief. And that's why he said, don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, he said, the rich men should do good, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, not in storing the money in banks, in good works. Use your money for the gospel too. Use your money to sponsor the gospel. Use your money to sponsor all the radio workers. And this call, call us and say, you want to sponsor a particular week, a particular day. And we tell you how much the radio station is collecting. And anybody that is saved during the day we are witnessing, we go to your account that you are the one that paid for that radio station. That is what you should be using your money for. When you sponsor the gospel, and that is what Apostle said, that they should do good and that they should be rich in good works. And that is what I will recommend for anybody. I did the same thing when I was not even a minister. Send donations to ministers because I know that the moment they use my money to win souls, that souls, the souls that are won, that my money participates in winning, that soul is going to my record also. So that's why I say when you sponsor this our radio broadcast, you tell us, uh, we won't say send it to the radio station, we can tell it to send the radio station and say it is for this particular ministry. I want you to 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 pay, I want to pay for a day of the broadcast or a week of the broadcast. I like this teaching. When you are doing that, anyone that is being saved or being edified or being built up in the body of Christ by the radio broadcast that you sponsored, it will go for your record also in heaven. That's what Apostle Paul is saying here. That they be good, that they do that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, that's what it means, distributing your money to help the other people, to help the gospel, to help the poor, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's how you are communicating your resources to help the gospel. You are communicating your resources to, to other people. Verse 19, he said, now you are laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may be, they hold on eternal life. 
you are when you sponsor the gospel i'm just using the gospel as an example when you do good you are actually laying for yourself a good foundation for the for the time to come even if you help somebody that is helpless that needed your help many years you don't know what will be tomorrow i remember a, a cousin of mine that helped me when i was still in high school going to live with him for vacation in lagos nigeria and you say well, he, he, you are living with him. It's your, sorry, it's your cousin. He should take care of you. But these people don't have much money. They are like taxi drivers, or they are just professional driver driving some big or gas. So when I come for vacation, it's like additional mouth to feed, and they struggle with it. You see, they are help, but they are paying for now that I can help them too. I'll be helping them out with uh, gifts also. But what I never forget the little sacrifice they did when they were welcoming me during my high school vacation days because I won't go there with my own bread and money to feed myself. They are feeding me during those two months or one month of vacation also. And that is paying it forward. And that's what Apostle Paul is also giving me when he said, the rich men should do good. That's even those who are rich. Those people that I'm talking about, my own cousin, they are very poor, but they manage because it's our family members, we have to do that also. But now, when I can help them, I now send them gifts and they remember that yes, it's because of what you did those days that I'm able to even do this. Otherwise, I won't be able to finish high school in those days also. So, Apostle Paul is using that same principle here that the rich men, whatever money you can afford, do good with it, be good in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. You are laying up in store for yourself a good foundation against the time to come. And you will be laying hold on eternal life that Christ is giving to we that are believing in. Verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. That is the ministry that was given to him. He said, keep it. Make sure you do the job. And he said, avoiding profane and vain babblings. I mean, to avoid all the debates and arguments that some people try to debate a pastor. When they don't believe, they want to debate the pastor about God, about Christ, about heaven, about hell. They think they know, but they are just being foolish. Because the Bible says the fool has said there is no God. If you have run to people, you are preaching, you are preaching the street many times, and run to people like that, they may be educated, maybe they are psychologists, or they are in so many professions and they want to debate that there is no God through science, but it's a, it's a lie. If you know science, they will know that science is Telling, it's telling only the physical, the, the, the spiritual, the, the closely. You can't bring the spirit to the test too, my friend. And that's what Apostle Paul is pointing out right here. He says, avoid proving and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Because I, I'm, I mean that he's talking to you, I'm a scientist. What do you mean by a scientist? I have my master's degree in computer engineering. So that qualifies me as a, as a technologist. And we are all classified as scientists, whether you are in physics. It's not, not only the physicists and the biologists that are scientists. Even engineers, medical doctors, they are all scientists. But you see, we that are engineers seem to know a little bit better. If you are an engineer and you know what it means to design, you will look at human beings and say that we are a perfect design. Just look at your hand, look at your fingers. That's a creation. That's a creativity. It takes intelligence to make this. Because in computer we try to make robots and we are writing programs that we make a, just to make the finger 
of a robot winkle like this. Thousands of lines of codes. That's when we, when we say well, it takes intelligence to do this one that we are able to do. How much more when all of them can work together and pick up, pick up something and not break it. We try to program robots to have fingers and maybe to make the fingers pick up a cup and not break the cup, not crush it too much. So we are measuring the pressure we put on the cup, the glass cup, and how much to hold it and not drop it. And those are all computer programming we were doing in the, in the, in the robotics lab in those days, which is part of what I, I studied. You see, that shows intelligence. If that robot could wake up one day after we are perfected and say he just created himself, can that robot think he just created himself? Because he's now able to do all those things that we program in it, we'll be thinking, we'll be laughing at him and thinking he's foolish, not so.